How's everybody doing? I appreciate that enthusiasm. I like that. Uh, uh, My name is Tripp. I'm excited to be here with y'all tonight. Um, What I want to do is tell you a little bit about myself before we jump into God's Word, just so you know who you're listening to. Uh, I'm Tripp. I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Um, I, uh, Dallas, Texas is a wonderful place. Grew up there. God was gracious to give me two loving parents. And um, growing up there, we, uh, we went to church every now and then. And Dallas is a really churchy place, too. So everybody I knew growing up said they were Christians. Literally everybody. And I was confused about what it meant to be a Christian because there were people who didn't care about Jesus at all who said they were Christians. And there were people who did care about Jesus and said they were Christians. And there were people who went to church all the time and said they were Christians, people who never went to church, people who lived crazy lives, people who lived these great moral lives. And so I was confused about exactly what it meant to be a Christian. Uh, and I repeated a prayer after the children's pastor when I was a little kid, um, really just because it sounded nice, because, you know, he said something like, hey, do you want to go to heaven where you'll get to live forever? And probably all your dead animals will be there too. And, you know, extinct dinosaurs, you'll get to ride on the backs of cheetah, uh, unlimited supplies of cookies and Kool-Aid, and play one-on-one basketball with Jesus forever. (laughs) Or, do you want to go to hell where you'll burn forever? I was like, mm. Uh, The first one sounded nice. I like that one. I like that option. And so, you know, I repeated this prayer after him, you know, and said, hey, so if you want to go to heaven, just say this. And I repeated, God, God, my bad, my bad, and went after him and said all of that. And he said, yeah, if you prayed that prayer, that means you're a Christian. But when I look back, I don't think I was a believer in Jesus yet because I didn't understand what I was saying. I was just repeating words after this dude. I didn't understand how holy and good God was. I didn't understand how I had sinned against God. I didn't understand that what Jesus did on the cross was, you know, standing in my place for my sin. I didn't understand what it meant to put my faith in Jesus. So I went on assuming I was a Christian. But when I look back, I don't think I was because I still loved my sin and I didn't love Jesus. So fast forward, I'm about 13 or 14. I go to a youth group. I start going to this youth group at that same church really just because when it was the day to sign up, to sign up for the summer retreat, and I looked, and I was like, Mom, I ain't signing up for that. And there was some cute girls. So I was like, wait, Mom, I'm going to go sign up for that. And so I did, <laughs> and I signed up. And the, the youth pastor at this church was a good youth pastor, uh, being that he not only gave us fun things to do, but he also opened the Bible and preached the good news about Jesus. And as the gospel was preached... That stuff I didn't understand about how holy and good God was, how sinful I was, how incredible Jesus had been in paying for my sins and what it meant to trust in Jesus, that stuff clicked and God saved me from my sins, gave me new life. And and as he gave me new life, he gave me this passion and desire to know him. And and as I got to know him in his word, I wanted other people to know him in his word. And so I was uh, doing everything I could to make sure people knew about this Jesus that I was getting to know. Uh, one of the ways I did that was, was through music. And so, I, you know, uh, my, my senior year in high school, I signed a record label and um, did my first album. Um, and, and the Lord has given me grace to do lots of those and get to travel around and do that and do other stuff and, and preach God's word. Uh, I'm also pastor in Atlanta. I, I'm, I'm married. I have two kids, a four-year-old and a two-year-old who are the cutest and <clears throat> most tiring people I've ever met. Uh, 
And so I just say all that so you know who I am, why I'm speaking to you. Uh, that Jesus that I met has been the same Jesus, been the driving force of my life since then. And so I want to spend some time talking about this Jesus and what he calls us to do. Amen. Uh, let's, let's take some time and pray. Father, we come before you together. We come before you together in the name of your son, Jesus. God, and we ask that you would give us grace now uh, as we look to your word. Lord, we want this to be an actual fruitful time that we have. We want this to, to matter for something. We want this to matter for the way that we live our lives, Lord. We don't want this to just be time of uh, a dude on stage running his mouth, Father. And if that's going to happen, we need your spirit, Lord. So we pray that you speak to us from your word. Uh, God, that you grip our hearts. God, you'd help us to see you more clearly. Lord, and we pray that as you work in our hearts. Um, yeah, that, that you'd renew faith, that you'd yeah, give the gift of new faith, Father, that you'd help us to trust Jesus and become more and more like him. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, so uh, what I'm going to do now as we spend some time in God's word is I'm going to uh, pick up and I'm going to talk about uh, Philippians chapter 2, a little bit of uh, a little section in Philippians. And uh, the, the people who've put this time together were kind enough to give me uh, one of the uh, most difficult sections in the Bible to teach, so I appreciate that. Um, you know, when I came, they're like, man, we're so happy you're here. And I was like, oh, you want to just show me your appreciation by giving me the hardest text of Scripture there is? Uh, but here's the thing. It's, it's only seen as hard because there are some things that can be misunderstood. But it's one of my favorite little sections in Scripture because it gives us this really clear picture of what Jesus is like and what that means for how we respond to him and how we live our lives. You know, so I want to start uh, by talking about something that's really clear uh, in our country right now, and that's uh, division. We're in a very uh, divided time. One of the interesting things is, um, as our culture and our society progresses in some ways, people assume uh, that everything is good, that there's not division like, they, like there used to be. Everything's great. And one thing that's happened in the last maybe four years, and especially the last couple years, is it's been made really clear that our country is still in a really divided place. And one of the things that made this really clear was uh, the, the presidential election and um, I have a little bit of nerd in me, but it's balanced out by a rapper. The rapper in me is cool. The nerd in me is nerdy. Um, and so I love paying attention to these kinds of things. And um, throughout this whole election, as I was watching it, it was uh, terrifying and strange and all kind of weird stuff going on about it. But one of the things it did is it showed how many different people in our country are in different places. And that continues to be shown. Uh, and the way that people respond to uh, specific candidates, especially the two major candidates, it was just very polarized response. The way people respond to every big current event happens, this is very polarized response, and we live in a very divided kind of place. Even if you'll watch the news and uh, sometimes on cable news, they'll be like, we're going to talk about, it could be any subject, but like, we're going to talk about candy today. We have a Democrat and a Republican to talk about candy. I'm like, y'all don't even like candy. You don't like the kind of candy I like. And it's this fighting that can happen over anything in these debates. But they don't even get sensible people. They're just like, who's going to fight? We like that, right? And there are these constant uh, debates and divisive conversations going on all 
the time, and you can go anywhere and any place. There's plenty of division. One of my questions is, is it possible in a country as divided as ours, and we don't even have to limit it to the United States, is it possible in a world like ours, right, where everybody's a sinner, where everybody has their own issues, where people come from different backgrounds, is it possible for there to be anywhere where people can actually agree on things? Right? Is it possible that there are places or communities of people where, where, where people can interact less like uh, people on cable news uh, fighting one another, uh, uh, opposing each other all the time? Is it possible for there to be communities of people where there's a, a, a kind of similar mind, where people agree on things, where there's a kind of unity? I think there absolutely is. I think it's absolutely possible. And one of the things we'll see in this section in Philippians is that's what Paul is telling the Philippians to do. Uh, in Philippians, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Philippians. You should. It's, it's short. You can read it really quick. Um, one of the things that I learned early on as a Christian when Jesus saved me around 14 or 15 is before that I didn't like the Bible, partly because the only Bible I had was a King James Version, and that is in English, but not really. It's too many these, thous, and thuses. I didn't know what was going on. Um, and I would try to read it, and I didn't like it. I didn't understand what was going on. And then after uh, I trusted in Jesus and God opened my eyes and someone gave me an NIV, uh, I was reading the Bible again. <laughs> and, it, and, and I was amazed by how God's Word uh, really spoke to my life. It really spoke to where I was. It really spoke to who God was. And it opened my eyes uh, in a brand new way. I want to encourage you, take advantage of the fact that God speaks to us in his word. The book of Philippians is a great book. Uh, in it, Paul writes it. Sometimes we imagine that like uh, some of these uh, biblical authors, they're like uh, sitting in a Starbucks with their feet up on the table writing these letters. Like, hey, Philippian church, I'm uh, sipping on a Frappuccino and I thought about you. How's everything going? You've been keeping up with the election? Right, that's not how it, that's not how it goes. Uh, the Apostle Paul specifically is writing the book of Philippians. Right? He's in prison as he writes it. So he's been imprisoned uh, foretelling people about Jesus, and what he decides to do in prison is to write letters to people about Jesus and tell the prison guards about Jesus. So when we read Philippians chapter 1, you know, the impression you're left with with Paul is, man, this dude is obsessed with Jesus. All he can think about is Jesus. He's even like, you know, I'm in prison, but, you know, it's all right because I'm able to tell prison guards about Jesus. He's like, man, there's some people who don't like me and who are trying to oppose me, and so they're trying to like it better than me by preaching, and they don't have good motives, but he's like, at least they're talking about Jesus, right? And he's saying, man, I wish I could stay with you to tell you more and help you grow, but he's like, actually, I would much rather depart and my life end because then I would get to go be with Jesus. So what the impression you get of Paul is that he really loves Jesus, and for him, everything in life is about Jesus. Matter of fact, he says it, to live is Christ and to die is gain, because dying only gets you to Jesus. So he's talking to the Philippians, starting in chapter 2. He, he's going to encourage them to behave a certain way based on um, their unity in Jesus. So I want to read Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to start reading at verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 to get going. He just told them, you know, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Philippians 2.1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, 
Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I'm going to stop right there. Paul recognizes that people within the Philippian church come from a lot of different backgrounds, and they got plenty of stuff they could be divided about. There's this part in Acts where you see Paul first go to this this area, and you see the kinds of people that he talks to and the kind of people that get saved. Real quick, there's this rich businesswoman named Lydia who really wanted to know God and tried to worship God as best as she could, and she was selling fine purple fabrics, and she hears about Jesus, and she gets saved. And there's this jailer, right, where... Uh, Paul is in prison with one of his friends, and uh, the amazing thing is the Lord allows that prison guard to get saved. Right there in prison, singing songs to Jesus, and the ground shakes, and they get to break out, and the dude's about to kill himself. Like, man, I don't want people to know I let them go. They're like, no, don't kill yourself. Let me tell you about Jesus. And he gets saved. There's this woman who's a slave and um, uh, demon-possessed, and these guys are using her, and, and they walk by, and she knows these demons inside of her, like, man, this dude is a messenger of Jesus, and then she gets saved and delivered. Paul understands there are different kinds of people in this Philippian church. Even if it was only three people, it would be a slave demon-possessed woman, a rich lady, and a former jailer. That's plenty of diversity. (laughs) Paul understands that this is not all one kind of person. Yet when Paul talks to him, he's saying, y'all have something incredible in common, and he calls them to this unity. One of the things we see in those first four verses is he's calling them to this oneness, right? He says, make my joy complete by, uh, another translation says, thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He's saying, even though you're really different, there should be a sameness about you. You should have the same love for each other. You should have the same mind. You should think the same way. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Or another translation says rivalry. You know, like when you um, get in an argument with somebody, and it gets to a point where you're not even arguing about the thing anymore. You're just trying to win. It's like you figure out you're wrong halfway through an argument, but you're like, but this has already started. I got to finish this. (laughs) And it gets to this point where you're really just trying to defeat the other person. You're not trying to get to any kind of understanding. He's saying, we don't want any of that to exist. We don't want that rivalry. You, you guys, brothers and sisters in Jesus, y'all aren't rivals. Y'all are not opponents. Y'all are brothers and sisters. Have the same mind. Have the same love. Be being in full accord. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. This is not about you just getting ahead, right? You want to put others' interests above your own which is a countercultural, for someone, a countercultural thing for someone to say at any time, uh, especially uh, during our time. But Paul wants them to have a particular mindset, a particular kind of DNA. You know, when you're around certain groups of people, there's a kind of DNA or uh, a way of thinking that you expect, and, you should, and when you come among them, you should expect it. So if there's a... Y'all are familiar with PETA? It's like this animal rights organization. If I know that there's a PETA rally going on. I'm probably not going to wear my fur coat by there. They don't like that. (laughs) And there's a a conference and a meeting group of atheists. I shouldn't be surprised that they don't share my view about God. 
If there's a KKK rally, I'm not going to go at all, because that's, that's not, they don't, <laughs> there are certain mindsets and thought processes that you expect from certain groups of people, right? There are people who are in a particular group all because they agree on a particular thing. And Paul is treating the Philippian church like they're the same way. He wants there to be a particular DNA, something that they're known for. Since they know Jesus, that's where they gathered around. He wants there to be a particular attitude about them. And this attitude that God has called his people to have in common is not hatred for a particular group. It's not a kind of flashy swagger. The attitude that God has called us to is humble service. That's the same mind he's called us to. Right? He, he wants there to be this DNA, this mindset of, of people not putting their own interests first. Right? People who have humility as their common DNA, a kind of humble service. And unfortunately, people often expect very different things from the church. They think of the church and they think of a place that's full of hypocrisy, or, or a place that's full of self-righteous people, or a place that's full of overly judgmental people who don't admit their own faults. Paul is saying, I want y'all to be known for a different kind of same mind, and that same mind is humble service. And here's the amazing thing. This is what the Bible always does that I love, is the Bible uh, not only calls us to do a particular thing, but then it gives us great examples. And the best example for every area of our life, for every virtue, is, of course, the Lord Jesus. And even specifically what he did on the cross. So many points in the Bible. Uh, the example we have, the best example of that virtue is how Jesus went to the cross. Right, so my kids, they're learning stuff. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. They learn to talk. The way they learn to talk is they looked at me and my wife, and they said, oh, they're communicating. I want to be able to do that. Right? They're rolling around on the ground. They're like, oh, it looks like when you use your legs, you get around faster. So they started to try to figure out how to do that. And they pulled themselves up and they watched us. And that's how they learned everything. The Bible very graciously doesn't only call us to this kind of humility, but it shows us the way that Jesus walked it out to perfection. So I want to read the rest of this passage. I want to read verses 5 through 11. And we'll look at the example of Jesus in this regard. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's God's word. The body of Christ should have the same humble mind as Christ. You ever thought about that metaphor uh, calling God's people the body of Christ? Right? In the same way that you have a body with arms and legs and your head tells it what to do. Right? If, if your arms and legs are trying to, if this arm is trying to uh, obey a different head and this one a different head, it's going to be real strange. It's going to be hard to walk around if your legs ain't in agreement with each other. He's saying this body of Christ, the head who tells us all what to do, 
should be the Lord Jesus. And if we're to have the same mind, it should be the mind of Jesus. So the body of Christ should have the same humble mind as Christ. And I'm going to look at three things he points out about the Lord Jesus as our example in those verses. The first thing is that he let go. When we look at the humble service of Jesus, first thing we see in these verses is he let go. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This humility. Um, One of the interesting things about our world is uh, our world teaches us to find the kind of unique advantages that we have, the strengths that we have, the privileges that we have, and to exploit them with all that we possibly can. Right, for example, I heard a, a, a podcast that was telling people starting new businesses, figure out what your unfair advantages are and use those unfair advantages to crush the competition. Use them to get the upper hand. So, of course, there's, there's nothing wrong with using advantages, right, for your own success. The problem is that we often uh, use our uh, advantages just for our interests at the expense of other people. So we're fine if we get ahead, even if that means knocking somebody off in the process. And the funny thing is, this is like the model of success stories in our world. There are so many um, very famous and wealthy people who that's their story. They've had plenty of power and privilege for as long back as people can remember, and they use that. They use their money as an advantage. They took their positions of power and discriminated against others with them because it served them. Right? Uh, people who left their spouses because they were rich and powerful, they could just grab another one, doing all kinds of things just because they could, because they had the privileges and the rights that came along with all the money and the power that they have. And that's kind of the model of success that we have in our country is, hey, get as much as you can, have so much power that you can make everybody exist to serve you. And use your advantages to push other people out out of the way to serve you. We get a very different picture when we look at the Lord Jesus. There is a stark contrast when we look at the life of Jesus. The Lord Jesus, before he was even born, had more power and wealth and authority than anyone who ever lived. And yet he didn't use that power, that wealth, or that authority to stomp out others or to gain at the expense. The Lord Jesus wasn't just self-interested. He used his position of, of power and authority to serve others. There's never been power and authority like his, and he used it to serve others. So he says, have that mind which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is the hard thing about this passage that people um, argue about a lot. What does it mean when he says that Jesus was in the form of God? That original word for, uh, for form could be translated as form or shape or nature. Uh, and that basically means uh, uh, expression of an essence or reality or a nature. So when it says Jesus is in the form of God, it doesn't mean like Jesus was a shapeshifter and this is one of many forms that he took. Um, What it means is, uh, it doesn't mean Jesus took different forms at different times. It's talking about him expressing who he is at his very nature. And that's God. It's like saying that my Honda is in the form of a car. It is a car, so it looks like a car. That's what it expresses. That's what it displays. And it's saying Jesus displayed godness, deity, divinity, because he is God. He was showing his nature. So to be really clear for a second, you're wondering who I think Jesus is. I think Jesus is God. 
Jesus was not just the man. Jesus was God. And that can be confusing because God the Father is God and God the Son is God. God the Spirit is God. We call it the Trinity. That's confusing. Oh, no, it's three persons and one God. That is very confusing. It's confusing because all the, like, I'm trip. There's just one person in here. That's it. Just one. And it seems like that can't be possible because all the beings we've ever interacted with are only one person. That's because the beings that we interact with are human beings. God is in a whole nother class. He's in a league of his own. God is not exactly like us. He's three persons and one God, one being. And God the Son is God. And God the Father is God. And God the Spirit is God. And some people say, well, Trip, you're just making that up. That's not what the Bible really says. Especially my Muslim friends may say that, and my Jehovah's Witness friends may say that, and my Oneness Pentecostal friends may say, but that's not what it says. Jesus, maybe God was in different forms at different times. But Jesus is a God. The Bible is so clear. I could read a million passages. I'll read a few, Romans 9, 5. There are patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God above all. Colossians 1.16, by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. How is Jesus not God? How would he be a created man if he was the one creating all things? Titus 2.13, calls Jesus God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I could go on and on and on. The, the Pharisees tried to pick up stones to throw at Jesus, saying, even they understood Jesus was saying he was God. They're like, you being a man and making yourself equal with God. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm God, Right? Over and over and over again, we see this in Scripture. Jesus is God. And the reason I point that out, and I think the reason Paul points that out, is to point out how incredible the humility of Jesus is. If Jesus is the most high God, then the fact that he would humble himself to come so low is even that much more incredible. If a mere man gave his life for other men, that would be incredible. If God himself became a man to give his life for sinful men, that's, even, that's a whole nother level. The humility of Jesus is beyond any humility we've ever seen. It says, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It's saying instead of Jesus grasping and holding on to the, his equality with God or taking advantage of it, uh, right, just for his own good, he did something different. It says he um, emptied himself. He didn't exploit that. He didn't take full advantage of all the privileges that came along with that. It's not saying he stopped being God. He didn't use it for selfish ambition. He used it for humble service. It reminds me of a um, movie I saw on accident one time called Air Force One. Most of you probably never heard of that. I don't even know why. I've watched it. I think I fell asleep on the couch one time and woke up and it was just on and I was too lazy to change the channel. But it's okay because it gave me this illustration. So in this movie, the, the president is Harrison Ford. And y'all know what Air Force One is, right? It's the president's plane. And so the president's plane is in the air and something terrible happens. Somehow people hijack the president's plane. There's no way that could happen, but it say it happens. They hijack the president's plane and they're trying to save the president. So here's what they do. They get another plane and they fly it in the air right next to Air Force One. And they're like, we need to get the president off this plane. I have an idea. Let's make a zip line from this plane to the other one. Who let this script be written? But they were like, let's make a zip line. And so they said, okay, let's do a zip line. And so they get it, and, and, and it's ready. And they're like, okay, Mr. President, you first. 
the, the president is on this plane with his staff and with his family, and the president says, no, 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 I'm not going first. And people are like, yes, you're going first. You're the president. No one cares if we die. If you die, the world's going. You've got to get off first. And he insists, no. Now, look, it would make sense if he did. He is the president. There's a lot that depends on him, right? There's a lot of stuff that would come crashing down if he weren't to make it. You can make the point he's the most important person on that plane. So if anyone is saved, it should be him. But here's what he did. He used his authority not to insist, let me off first because I matter most. He used his authority to insist that others should be put before him. He used his authority to insist, I want my family off first. I want my staff off first and I'll go last. That's the kind of humble service that we see exhibited in the life of Jesus, where Jesus doesn't use his status as the eternal son of God to serve himself at the expense of others. He uses it to insist that he serves them. That's what this text means when it said he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to, to be taken advantage of. Jesus used it to serve others. That's humble service. Here's a question I have for you. What kinds of, what kinds of privilege or status or power or resources do you have that you can use, not just for yourself and your own interests, but for the interests of others? Remember, that's what Paul is getting at. Have the same mind. Don't just look out for yourself, but the interests of others. You know, for me, for example, I understand that unlike Many people in the world, I have a home. Like I have a stable house that I can be in and I stay warm in and I stay cool in in the summer that my family's in and we have nice beds to sleep in. And that home that's been given to me, I could use that just as a way to close out the world and just to have my place where no one can get in. Or I can use that gift that I've been given as a way to serve other people. I can invite people into my home, right? I can... Uh, Try to be hospitable and have people home, even though I'm an introvert and I don't like people that much. You know, I can invite people into my house to love them because Jesus has called me to do that. There's some things that we don't think that much of because it just feels pretty regular, like having food or having money or having a home, that have been given to us not just for our own own interests. I want to press this home. There is absolutely nothing that you've been given that you have only to serve yourself. There's nothing that you have. There's no dollar, there's no friend, there's no status, there's no anything that's been given to you just to serve you. Everything you've been given has been given to you to glorify God and to love and serve others with as well. Right, so if I, you know, my first job I ever had when I was 15, I worked at a grocery store in Texas called Albertsons. And let me tell you what, what I thought because my family was doing fine, so it's not like I had to help pay our bills. It just meant I felt like a rich high schooler because I, I would get enough hours and then I would just be stacking cash in my drawer, just feeling better about myself with each day. And what I thought is, look at all this money I get for me. And, and what Scripture is teaching us is there's nothing that we're given that is just for us. There's nothing that's just yours. In fact, there's nothing that really you own. God really owns everything. You're more like a manager. Scripture says the earth is the Lord and all that's in it. Everything belongs to God. So I want you to think about what it is that you have, whether that's status, whether that's a friend, whether that's money, whether that's a home, whether that's anything that you can use, not just for your own interest, but to serve others. That's the model that we see 
with the Lord Jesus. Jesus let go. It says he took the form of a servant. Uh, Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. One of our problems is that in too many situations, we posture ourselves as kings instead of servants, right? We show up and we feel entitled to all kinds of stuff. When the Lord Jesus, the King of kings, came to earth and postured himself as a servant, we should learn from his example. Number one, he let go. That's the longest point. Don't get scared. Number two, he came down. Sometimes when your first point is long, people are like, is the next one going to be 20 minutes? We're going to be here forever. Nope. Second thing, he came down. Jesus is the most high God, but he came low, meaning he humbled himself. Right? Humility is something that Christians would talk about a lot, being humble. I have a question for you I just want you to think about for a second. How do you know if you're humble? If anyone ever asks you if you're humble, don't answer that. That's a trap. <laughs> if you say yes, it's like, see, that was pride. Even then, you're not humble, right? Don't answer that question. How do you know if you're humble, though? I think it's a word that gets thrown around a lot that sometimes we don't understand that well. There's one famous person who was asked about their humility, and he said, if he asked if he was humble, he said, there's more humility than you would think. He said, we're all the same. We're all going to the same place, probably one of two places, you know, but we're all the same, and I do actually have much more humility than a lot of people would think. I don't think, um, for one, I don't really know what that meant, what that quote was, but I don't think he knows what humility is. And this is what happens a lot when we talk about humility is we talk in circles because we don't really know what it means. Well, I think this text gives us a beautiful picture of what it means. This humble service, sometimes we think humility is just like uh, thinking terrible things about yourself. Like, oh, man, I'm not as good looking as him. I can't jump like him. I'm not as cute as her. My J's are kind of old. Oh, I don't know what you were. My Sperry's are kind of old, whatever you were. <laughs> sometimes we think humility is just thinking bad things about ourselves. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, humility isn't... What y'all laughing at? He says... Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. There's Lewis says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is this thing where, um, you know, we're born thinking the world revolves around us, and we see ourselves as huge and everything else around us really small things there to serve us. Humility is when our view of ourselves shrinks, not just because we think less of ourselves, but because we see the much bigger picture. Humility is seeing ourselves rightly in light of who God is. And Jesus here humbles himself, and the way that that humility shows up is in service. Verse 8, in being found in human form, he humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It says he was found in human form. That means that this eternal Son of God, all-glorious King of kings, became a man. Here's the uh, the thing that uh, blows my mind with Jesus. Jesus being the creator of all things, um, not only holds the universe together by the word of his power, but also becomes a baby who's born and is helpless. Jesus creates Mary and then is born from the womb that he created. Jesus breathes the oxygen that he created and put in place. Uh, The humility of the Lord Jesus that he became a man is absolutely incredible. It's unbelievable. It hurts your brain to think about 
that the Son of God, unlike everybody in this room, never had a birthday in the sense that he always was, and then he was born and he had a birthday. Here's the thing, Jesus could not have been humbled by anyone else. Sometimes when we think of somebody being humbled, we think like they find out they're not as good as they thought they were. For instance, in eighth grade, I thought I was amazing at basketball, but it was really just because I went to a private school and everybody sucked and I was okay. <laughs> and then a kid came from another school and I was talking trash like, bro, you ain't better than me. I will, you know, you ain't ready. And, and then <clears throat> he was way better than me and I started rapping, but it worked out for me. <laughs> but I got humbled. I got humbled. Somebody else was better than me, defeated me in such a way that it brought me lower. Here's the thing about Jesus. There is nobody in the entire universe who could ever defeat him. He could not have been humbled by anybody else. So the only way that Jesus would come low is if he humbled himself voluntarily. And it's exactly what the Lord Jesus did. He humbled himself and became a man. I heard somebody um, Uh, An author talked about humility as the opposite of entitlement. And I thought that was helpful, right? Because an entitled heart shows up and says, serve me. I deserve that. Give that to me. I deserve that. How dare you do that? I deserve better than that. But a humble heart says, I'll serve you whether or not you deserve it, right? Because the universe doesn't revolve around me. A humble heart says, I'll give to you whether or not I deserve deserve it. And and a humble heart says, yes, you wronged me, but I deserve much worse. I've sinned against the God of the universe. You may have wronged me, but I've wronged God in much worse ways. Humility is the opposite of entitlement. I think that's a helpful way to think about that. Every moment that we have breath is a gift from God. That's good to remember. It says that Jesus was humble even to the point of death. Here's the thing about humble obedience. Humility isn't just a mindset. Humility uh, isn't just a disposition or posture. Humility also shows up in selfless actions, right? That's the fruit of humility. So here's one of the answers to my earlier questions. How do you know if you're humble? If you wonder whether or not you're humble, then look at your actions. Look at what you do. Humility is tied to these selfless actions because If we consider ourselves most important, then we'll never sacrifice anything. If every, in every instance, I think I'm more important than the person I'm talking to, I'm never going to make a sacrifice so that they can have something that I don't get myself because I think I'm the greatest. Humility shows up in selfless actions. You should ask yourself, in everyday interactions, do you ever consider someone else's interests above your own? When's the last time you said, I want this? but I'm going to sacrifice that so that they can have it. When's the last time that happened? That's how humility shows up in action, the selflessness that understands that others' interests should be put before your own. That's a hard thing to do, to say no to yourself for the sake of other people. But Jesus' humility showed up in obedient actions. It says he was obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And, and a cross was a shameful way to die, but Jesus was humble enough to die in that way in order that he would give eternal life. It was so shameful because it was so clearly a curse, right? It, it was cursed. But Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who was hung on a tree Jesus took our curse for us. We're sinners. We were cursed. Jesus was cursed on our behalf. That's humble service at its best. 
One of the reasons we don't serve sometimes is because we think something is below us. Like this happened with husbands sometimes. Like, I ain't going to wash these dishes. That's my wife's job. Uh, sir, that's dumb, one. Uh, two, that's not in the Bible. Three, sit down. Uh, the humility... Uh, the humility that Jesus calls us to here is understanding that there's no kind of service that's below us. There's sometimes we're like, I ain't going to do that. I need to do something else. I'm not going to serve by sweeping. I need to do something more glamorous like speaking. What we see with the Lord Jesus is that he didn't consider even death in the most shameful way to be below him, but he humbled himself in that way to serve others. So if you're ever in a place where you feel like a kind of service is below you, I want you to think about what that says about the Lord Jesus. That Jesus humbled himself to deeper, to deeper depths than we could ever imagine. Right? So if you think something is beneath you, then you must think you're better than Jesus, the Son of God himself. Jesus gives us an incredible example here. Didn't come to be served, but to serve. Gave his life as a ransom for many. Another quick note. Um, Every area of disobedience in our life is a pride issue. It means we're not humble enough because what we'll do is, it's like my son who's four years old doesn't know much of anything um, because he's four. No, we can't blame him. He's only four. Um, he has this wallet, this Velcro wallet that he'll put on his wrist and he'll be like, Dad, it's a watch. I'm like, no, it's not. He's like, no, no, Dad, this is a watch. I'm like, cute, it's not a watch. It doesn't tell you the time. Dad, this is a watch. And it gets to a point where I'm just like, all right, you can just be dumb if you want to. All right. <laughs> the Lord put me here to help you not make dumb mistakes such as that. But you know what? You got it, Q. That's a watch. Sure. Right? And there's this humility that my son should have, understanding that I know more than him. But, but it's hard for him to wrap his mind around that. This is what we do to God every time we sin against him. We say, God is saying, that's not good. That's bad. And we're saying, no, it's not, God. This is good. God said, no, 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 that's not good for you. We're saying, no, 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 God, this, this is good for me. Or it's the pride that says, I know you're saying it's not good for me, but I still want to do it anyway. Every act of disobedience is a pride issue, right? We're putting ourselves on the throne above God. Humility shows up in obedience. We see that with the life of Jesus. Last thing, and I'll close with this, is Jesus was lifted up, right? So he let go. He came down. Last part, he's lifted up. That's what we see in those final verses, that the Lord Jesus was lifted up, exalted as a result of his humility. Um, verse, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As a result of his humility, the Lord Jesus was exalted. He came low, and so the Lord put him high. And when it says Jesus is exalted, it doesn't mean that Jesus was promoted to now being the king. That exaltation is everyone now sees that Jesus is who he's always been. Because Jesus said he was the son of God, people didn't believe him, and he killed him, and he got up from the grave. If, a do, if you kill somebody and they resurrect themselves, they might be the son of God. right? Jesus showed himself to be who he was and the fact that he paid for sins and he got up from the grave so that he was exalted. Now, this is not to mean that whenever we humble ourselves, it means God will certainly exalt us in some way. Sometimes he will, 
And there's some exaltation that won't happen in this life, but it'll happen in the next when we get to reign with him forever. But what we do get to do is with our humility and with our service, we get to continue to exalt the Lord Jesus, who is the name above all names. We get to, in the stuff that we do, help people to recognize that Jesus is who he said he was and that he rose from the grave. And, and, and that's a gift and a treat better than any other, that God would give us the chance to do what we were created to do, glorify Jesus. There is no better cause in the universe than pointing out how incredible Christ is, and we get to do that as we humbly serve other people. One of the things we talked about at the beginning is how divided our nation is, but I want you to know Jesus has called his people to something completely different. He's called his people to a kind of unity, right? A gathering around him. And here's the thing. If that unity is us saying, man, let's figure out something we all like and do it together. We all like these kind of songs. Let's sing them. That's not an eternal unity God has called us to. Instead, he's called us to a unity that's already been purchased by Jesus. We don't have to decide what we gather around. What we gather around is Jesus. We have that same mind. Jesus is the head. He is the mind that all of us ought to have. And the way that that that, that same mind shows up is in humble service. I want to encourage you even throughout the rest of Uh, this weekend throughout this conference, look for ways to serve other people. In interactions with people, don't think about what you can say that'll make them like you more. Think about what you can say that will serve them, right? And my encouragement to you is, anytime we look at the Lord Jesus, we see this incredible example of humble service where he lays his life down for the benefit of others. My prayer is that the Lord will allow that to be a model for how we live our lives, and how we interact with others, not pride, not arrogance, not ego, but humble service. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for speaking to us so clearly in it. God, we thank you for King Jesus who has the name above all names, the name in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Father. Father, we pray that you would help us to see Jesus for who he is, the, the everlasting King, God, the one who holds the universe together by the word of his power, but the one who became a man in this universe and gave his life. God, help us to see him for who he is. I want to pray for my friends who maybe don't know Jesus. God, help them to see Jesus more clearly than they ever had. Not as just a guy in an old book, but as the Savior who gave his life and as a Savior who loves them very much. Father, and we pray that he'd be glorified and one of the ways that he would would be the ways that we, in faith, strive to look more like him. We love you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.